I'd like to welcome you all to Sunday service in the Temple of Light. Uh, my name is Ananta, this is Maria, and uh, it's really a joy to every week think of this is where Sunday service is. <laughs> it's, it's kind of dawning on us. For a couple of years we've been over on that temple praying for this temple to be here, so uh, the delivery is complete. And um, we have guests from the Expanding Light, we have guests from the Meditation Retreat, um, and we probably have some people that are here for the first time. We have people online, so we want to really welcome you all. Thank you for coming uh, and joining us, because the more people that join into the satsang, the more the temple can be filled with light. I'd like to read from Rays of the One Light, um, parallel passages from the Bible and the Gita, from Swami Kriyananda. And this week our topic is, How Democratic is Truth? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. We live in an age when people assume that knowledge should be available equally to all. In matters susceptible of judgment by normal common sense, however, everyone knows there are exceptions. Access to a control room for intercontinental missiles is limited by universal consent to a very few. Access to the controls of a passenger airliner is limited to those with the necessary knowledge for operating them and also to those with the proper authorization. If people don't see the disadvantages of making more subtle knowledge universally available, it is only because they are ignorant of the risks involved. In the case of subtle knowledge, the main disadvantage in making it universally available is the harm it might do to one who isn't ready for it and who might even mock it. True, by mocking truth, he might undermine the faith of a few truth seekers. But then such tests can also be beneficial as a means of strengthening faith. Again, true, the clever doubter's misrepresentation of those truths may dissuade a few seekers from following the spiritual path. But if a seeker really is sincere, he will recognize the truth eventually because it resonates with his own being. No, the greatest problem accrues to the shallow doubter himself. To give him an opportunity to affirm his ignorance might only estrange him even more from the truth. Delaying the time when he will turn as all people must, eventually, to the light. Thus, the scriptures advise not secrecy, but discretion in the sharing of truth. Jesus Christ says in the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 7, Give not that which is holy unto dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. And Sri Krishna says in the 18th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, Never speak of these truths to one who is without self-control or devotion, who renders no service, 
who does not care to hear or who speaks ill of me. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. So I'd like to read now from Yogananda's Whispers from Eternity. And this is entitled, Prayer Demand for Illumination. O Spirit, beloved Father, over soul of the universe, spirit of spirits, friend of friends, teach me the mystery of my existence. Teach me to worship thee in breathlessness and in deathlessness. In the fire of devotion, burn away my ignorance. In the stillness of my soul, come, spirit, come. Possess me and teach me to feel thy immortal presence in and around me. Come, spirit, come. Come, spirit, come. So a hearty welcome as well to you all. How democratic is truth? That's our subject this morning. And really, it's, it's so big and broad, and there's so many aspects to it. I'm going to focus uh, just on a few, and these are why we need to discriminate and how do we share with others and how do we uh, be in our own consciousness in its highest expression? How do we bring all the energies and forces and thoughts within us to the highest. Swami gave us a very clear guide uh, point on this topic. He said, truth cannot be voted into existence. And he used the example, uh, he said, you could bring a bunch of people together and you could discuss the merit, the validity of gravity the law of the universe, a law of the universe, but what would be the point? Gravity is. Gravity is, and truth is. And yet, it's not there for everybody. And why is that? I remember when I first uh, went to India, and I felt uh, certainly a different culture, but very much at home. And to my own surprise, I found by way of introduction, I could just easily say, and it was the first thing there, I'm here on pilgrimage, I'm here visiting, I'm a disciple of Yogananda, and who would you say that to in this country by way of introduction? Say, your guru buys, you just, you wouldn't do that. It just would be meaningless and, uh, and received as silly, ridiculous. A very dear young friend of ours, he uh, was going down to San Francisco to get his visa for to travel to India, and he went up to the counter, the window, and there was an Indian woman there, and he explained that he was going, he needed the visa, he gave her the book, and the passport book was entirely filled up. There was no blank space in there. He was a big traveler. And she said, I'm sorry, I can't give your visa. There's no place to stamp it. You're going to have to 
get a new passport and come back. And he, fearless fellow, but dismayed, and he went and sat down, and he just prayed intensely about it. And he went back up to the window, the same woman was there, and he said, I need to get to India. It is my guru's birthday on January 5th. (laughs) And she looked at him, didn't say a thing. Then she took the book, went over to some little corner, rummaged through some papers, came back. She had stapled in a new page into the passport (laughs) book and had stamped it. It totally made sense to her. It communicated to her something real, something of truth. He needed to get there for his guru's birthday, and so be it. And um, I remember... uh, many years ago when I had first come to live here at Ananda Village. And after a few months, I had moved over to Ayodhya, which is an adjacent piece of property to the village, um, to live with the nuns. And some time went by, and I was uh, going on my first visit back to my mother's home, where I grew up in Pacific Palisades. And I went back, and just spending there a couple of days... And my childhood friend, uh, who's still my friend, wanted to see me and came over. Well, I had embarked on this new way of life. I had chosen a renunciate life. I was dressed in yellow from head to toe. And I just started to tell her about my life and how great it was. And, you know, I didn't, it wasn't an overtly egoic thing. I mean, I was sincere. I was just excited. And, you know, I had found home, and this was a big deal. And uh, she just looked at me, and she was so confused and bewildered. I just, I think she thought I was nuts. And uh, the discussion, the sharing ended, you know, rather abruptly, I would say. They're just, where do you go with that? She just had no reference, and no reference in my life for that. You know, that wasn't the part of me that uh, she knew. Uh, And so it's important that we, in our knowledge, in our enthusiasm for whatever we've chosen, for the reality, the truth that we've embraced, to always be respectful, to always be kind, to always be in relation, at least, or in observance to others' realities and where they are at, because each soul is so uniquely different, and our journey is singular. There's no one else who has a journey just like us, and we come to truth, we know truth, we are receptive to truth in our own Time in, our, in the language that speaks to our heart, our soul, our karma. I remember uh, it was late 70s, early 80s, something like that. We used to do programs um, to teach people organic gardening. This was a new thing, uh, kind of then, believe it or not. And uh, we had people come and attend these classes and uh, field workshops for about a month at a time, and there was a woman who, uh, she had a medical history on occasion of uh, having an epileptic seizure, and this was something that wasn't indicated in the medical questionnaire, so we weren't expecting it, 
clearly. And uh, it was very of great concern to us, and it, it was frightening in its own way. And, and of course, we were anxious about her well-being. And I was, I must have been walking, I remember where I was, I, I must have been working on the orchard alongside the road or something, but Swami Kriyananda drove down the road, he was headed into town with friends, and he stopped to say hi, and I asked him, I said, can you help this woman, can you heal this woman? And in my mind, it was, in heart, it was a doable thing, it was just a natural thing to ask, but I hadn't taken it far enough and to really consider the whole, the whole situation. And Swamiji, he said he couldn't. He couldn't be of help in this situation at the time. And it was hard for me to understand that. You know, you see someone in need and you want to fix it or do what you can to fix it. And I couldn't understand, you know, why, what wasn't, I couldn't understand why there wasn't some opening here. But I thought about it, and I realized that I was presuming on who and what I thought Swamiji was, and I also wasn't considering this woman's karma. She wasn't interested in our teachings. She wouldn't have been receptive to, uh, to our way of working with the situation and or whatever healing might be possible there. And her karma was such that, you know, it just wasn't the answer. It wasn't the appropriate thing to do. And once I understood that, it was really an insight for me into uh, knowing that, you know, we, we have our perspective. It's unique. Everyone has their perspective. It's unique. Everyone has their moment of receptivity and readiness to truth and to, in this case, higher teaching. So it's important that we take always this into account. Swami Kriyananda was such a kind and respectful individual and a great example in this way. But then how do we share? How do we share with others? How do we communicate with others truths of subtlety and truths of light and joy that we find so meaningful and so real. Yogananda gives us a marvelous example in Autobiography of a Yogi. He speaks of Babaji and Christ in the Himalayas, sending out vibrations, sending out a consciousness of well-being for the salvation, for the enlightenment of humankind. Nothing is said verbally. Nothing is said, uh, you know, uh, directly. But so much is communicated. And oftentimes we can't say things directly. We can't speak uh, intellectually. We can't speak verbally. We can't say anything. It's not appropriate, perhaps, in the situation. But we can send out vibration. We can be who we are, and that vibration is communicated. We can be who we are as a devotee, and that vibration is communicated. Uh, shortly after Anant and I were married, 
Swami Kriyananda went out on tour, and in those years he was going out uh, quite a bit and taking people from the community. And he asked, he knew my mother lived in Pacific Palisades, they were going to Southern California, and he asked, is it possible that we could all stay at your mother's home? <laughs> and I was, I mean, I did not want to say no to Swamiji. I, and I was, you know, I was so personally, you know, my opinions about home and, and receptivity and all of this and just trying to figure out whether this was a good idea or not, but I was not going to say no to Swamiji. And, uh, you know, there was nothing wrong about my mom or home, but, you know, it, at that, I was, what, the, in my early 20s, and my conception was still one of where I grew up and, you know, this, that, and the other. So anyway, I, I called my mother, who was totally fine with doing it, um, very gracious uh, individual and host. And so this whole team of people, I mean, it was at least 15 people. <laughs> And they were sleeping in the yard and sleeping in the living room and energizing outdoors and all there, you know, doing many different things in the kitchen and, you know, just commotion. My mom lived by herself at that point, mother of five kids, but they were all long gone, this big house. And uh, it was just simply delightful. But, but the point I wanted to make was that you know, I don't know that there were any discussions about, you know, what Maria was doing or what this spiritual community is like. But just having that vibration there in, in her home and so many wonderful and kind people, it just spoke volumes. And it was after that that my mother really relaxed with Ananda and the path I had chosen. She'd come up for our wedding and, um, you know, and it was all fine and, and good, but there was always that, you know, just not quite sure what I had done <laughs> and, you know, what I had embraced in my future. But so much was just communicated through vibration, through the hearts of devotees, through kindness, through love. And she talked about that until she left this plane. She would ask about every single one of those people, how they were and what they were doing. Um, and I was reading recently, rereading the life of uh, St. Francis, and one of my favorites. And he, one day he was just overwhelmed with the suffering in the world, and he started to pray and pray incessantly that everyone, everyone on the planet be united in light, come to the light, be relieved of their suffering, of their sin was the word he used. We would say karma, but, you know, the freedom of all souls. And he prayed about this intensely. And ultimately, Jesus came to him, and Jesus' mother, Mary, they both appeared to him. And they said, what do you want? What, what can we do for you? And Francis said, I want 
I want it to be that anyone who comes here to the Portsiankala, which is the little, the little chapel inside the huge, big basilica now in Santa Maria degli Angeli below Assisi, anyone who comes here, I want them to be freed of whatever they are carrying. And Jesus looked at Mary, and Mary smiled and nodded, and Jesus said, so be it. And for political reasons, <laughs> that every day of the year blessing and grace was consolidated to one day by the Pope, whom Francis had to share this vision and message with, was obligated to. But nonetheless, it is there. And it was through Francis's prayer. So prayer, vibration, these cut through you know, they cut through all the dogma, they cut through all the personal preference or perspective, powerful communicators of truth while still being respectful. People don't even have to believe in prayer. It's helpful if they do, you know, when people are praying for them and sending them energy, but it's not even necessary. Prayer cuts through and carries that wave of truth to everyone and everything. And then what about us? Because as it says in the Gita, the mind is like unto a kingdom. Within us there are so many points of view and perspectives and ideas and thoughts, and they're not all on the same page. You know, there's this tug and war, the battle of Kurukshetra, as it talks about in the Gita, that goes on in our own minds, this battle constantly. And how do we take these different facets of our being and nature and bring them into harmony, rally them to truth, rally them to the light, when sometimes it's those loud negative voices or contrary voices that are striving to be at the front of the line. Swami Kriyananda, when he started this community, everyone wasn't on the same page. There were many different ideas about what it should be, where it should be, how it should be, and who should be in charge. A lot of conflicting ideas and a lot of ideas that were also cooperative and harmonious. So how do you bring these together, these different forces? And he would just lead with that consciousness of directing energy, directing inspiration into the vision as he saw it at that point, and trying to excite and inspire those who might be interested. And some were, and some weren't. But where that energy was in support, because the light is stronger than the darkness. In this case, I mean, these weren't dark and evil people, but a limit, you know, a limited, a limited view onto this vision, a different view that wasn't going to take, allow Ananda to move toward its destiny. But as he put energy into those who were with him, 
and the vibrations that were harmonious, the vibrations that saw a collective vision towards that perceived destiny and the hope that such an experiment, such a project, an opportunity could offer, a magnetism built. And it was a magnetism that gathered strength and those who weren't really interested, who realized they weren't, I'm not really interested in that. That's not really something I want to do. Then they were able to just naturally turn towards what did interest them, what did draw them. We need to work the same way with our own being, rally those forces that are in tune with our vision, in tune with our desire to move and grow in the light, and do what we can to give strength to that, to build that magnetism. So it says in the Gita then, practicing self-control, which minimizes the restlessness. You know, when we get calm, we can see clearly truth. We can see clearly higher purpose. When we're restless and agitated, it's a very confusing world that we're looking onto. Practicing meditation, doing service, cultivating devotion. All of these the Gita points out because they heighten our receptivity. And truth can't be perceived unless we are receptive, which is to say, unless our consciousness is open and broad and held in the light. When we have a good meditation afterwards, it's like, it's like oh, that's really, I get that now. It's clear. I understand it. And what has taken place there is just that our consciousness is expanded. It can now understand what before it just saw. You know, you can put truth out there. You can speak it. You can say it. You can even be right in front, you know, of Yogananda, right in front of a Jesus Christ and not get it. I mean, how oftentimes has that happened to us when truth has presented itself? It's right in our face, and we don't see it. But when we expand our consciousness, when it gets bigger, then we can see the truth that was always there, that is always there. And so Swamiji said, he said, when we love God, we open a channel for God's love to come to earth. That's a powerful teacher. It's just one person, but if one person and the next person and the next person loves God, then a channel is opened up through which God's love can come to earth. And in that vibration, in that vibration of divine love, truth is perceptible and truth can be received in the hearts of all. Thank you. Lift your hearts up to the Lord. Oh.